Good morning. I'm Mary Bidwell. I'm going to recite our scripture for this morning, James 3:13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The very word of God. All right. Thank you, Mary. Really, uh, really awesome to have the word of God recited to us from memory. Thank you for locking that word in your heart, Mary, for our benefit this morning. And uh, let me just pray. Father, as we come to look at your word right now, um, ask that you'd speak to each one of us, Lord, and uh, reveal yourself to us in those unique personal ways that only you can do. And we, uh, we give this time to you and ask you to transform us. We're here, Lord, for not for information, but for transformation. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are uh, continuing on in our journey through the book of James. Uh, we come to chapter 3. Last week, James was talking about the tongue. And this is a very logical next step for him to talk about wisdom and uh, in, this, uh, in this section this morning, he's going to differentiate between false wisdom and true wisdom. And as I was thinking about it, uh, one of the things about wisdom, true wisdom, is it's always pretty cool. It's always pretty cool. Imagine that scene in Solomon's uh, palace when the two prostitutes came to him and uh, one mother had slept on her baby and the baby had died and so she had taken the other woman's child uh, and pretended it was hers but the other woman, the mother, knew uh, that it was her baby. So they go to the king with their case and he, out of left field, would never happen in a court in the United States, out of left field he says, uh, let's cut the baby in half and give half to each of these mothers to satisfy the situation knowing full well that the mother who wasn't the mother would happily agree to that, and the mother who was the mother uh, would never let that happen. That's pretty cool wisdom. And the people were amazed. Fast forward, Jesus is uh, on the Temple Mount, and they are testing him about paying um, the tax to Caesar. And he says... And they ask him, should they be paying the tax or not? And he says, give me a coin. Well, they're not supposed to be on the temple mount with Roman money. They're supposed to be on the temple mount with shekels. So he, he disarms them right away. But then he says, whose image is that? And they say, Caesar's. He says, 
Well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And then we read in Luke's gospel that they were astonished and silent. Wisdom has that effect. It's, it's that effect it has on us that we know what is being spoken is right. We know what is being spoken is true. We know what is being spoken is pure. And so James is going to tease that out. And this passage this morning is actually a treatise on wisdom. And we're going to unpack it in four parts. First, he's going to talk about, in verse 13, the deeds of the wise person, which will tie into the conversation he has at the end of chapter 2 about faith and deeds. Uh, then he, he will outline the, the quality of false wisdom, verses 14 to 16, which he summarizes in uh, the word chaos. It, it, that would be the summary of, of those three verses. Then he contrasts that with true wisdom, and what true wisdom actually does is it produces shalom. Now, shalom means peace, but it also means everything in its right place. And then he goes on with that topic of peace to peacemakers and how they reap righteousness in verse 18. So we're going to unpack that in four pieces, and then we're going to spend the last several minutes of our time together listening to God and asking him for wisdom. In chapter 1, James talked about if you need wisdom, ask for it, right? Now he's describing what wisdom looks like, what a wise person looks like, what the counterfeit looks like. And so now, as we apply this, we're going to spend that last five minutes or so, we're just going to ask God for wisdom. So I want you to think about a topic, an issue that you're wrestling with right now that is real to you and that you're in the middle of. And we're going to ask God to speak into that according to these principles that we're going to study in these few verses. Make sense? All right. Uh, So, wisdom. Now, there's a point of view that we need to see. Because even though the book of James was written in Greek, um, it is a very Hebraic book. It is a very Jewish wisdom book. So, for us, when we hear the word wisdom, we have been trained in an education system in this country that is essentially Greek. All right, We are a Hellenistic society. Alexander the Great said, if you give me the gymnasium, you give me the arena, you give me the theater, and you give me the temples, I can control culture. I can control culture with those institutions. And you go downtown and you see the theater, you see the gymnasiums, the the private schools, you see the arenas down by the riverfront, uh, and you see the temples all over the place. This is a very Hellenistic country in a very Hellenistic society. So for the Greeks, and we've got a picture here painted by Raphael in 1509 of the school of Athens, but for Greeks, this idea of wisdom is a lifelong discussion. It's a lifelong intellectual pursuit. It's a lifelong uh, searching for the latest ideas. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's in Athens and he says that the Areopagus, they're, they're all they do all day is stand around and talk about the latest ideas. Uh, in 2019, we have TED Talks. That's the same idea. So 
got the school of wisdom. But then contrast that to the Hebraic perspective, to the Jewish perspective. And um, this is a picture painted in about 1840 uh, by a guy named Hart. And it is uh, the Jewish synagogue in Livorno, Italy. Uh, and these are the Jews bringing in the Torah scrolls. The center character is carrying the Torah scrolls. This is the scroll of the first five books of the Bible. And the Jewish people will read that Torah in little chunks all year. Now on Monday here, uh, Monday here and Tuesday, they have what they call Simchat Torah. This is the day that they get to the end of Deuteronomy and they rewind the scrolls back to the beginning and the next day, which will be Wednesday next week, they start again in Genesis. And they always finish at the Feast of Tabernacles, the feast that's going on right now in Jerusalem. But this picture shows us that for the Jew, uh, it is a lifelong, wisdom is a lifelong search for the best way to live. For the best way to live. Usually one week at a time from Shabbat to Shabbat. And, and certainly one year at a time where they will literally rewind the scroll. So rather than looking at the latest ideas, they're looking at the revelation of God over and over and over and over and over again every year to glean from it the wisdom that is available from the revelation of God. See the difference? See the difference? So let me unpack that a little bit further. So Hebraism and Hellenism, uh, this is how you might contrast these two. One, and I'm going to I'm going to have Hebraism here and Hellenism here. Hebraism is a spiritual culture. Hellenism is a material culture. Hebraism is based on listening. Hellenism is based on seeing. Hebraism is about free will. Hellenism is about fate. Hellenism uh, Hebraism is theist. Hellenism is inherently humanist. Hebraism is divine laws. Hellenism has human laws. Hebraism is based on revelation and faith. Hellenism is based on reason and science. Hebraism is a worshiping community. Hellenism is a political community. Hebraism has modest dress. Hellenism has exercising in the nude. The word gymnasium literally means exercise in the nude. Hebraism is sexually conservative. Hellenism is sexually liberal. Hebraism focuses on being aware of sin and avoiding it and mastering it, mastering over it. Hellenism is see things as they are and seek beauty and enjoyment as much as possible. Hebraism has a strictness of conscience. Hellenism has a spontaneity of consciousness. Hebraism is about obedience and action. Hellenism is about questioning and thinking. Uh, wisdom in the Hebraic model is a lifestyle. Wisdom in the Hellenistic model is a body of knowledge. What is right, what is practical. And fi- finally, material and spiritual things are integrated And in Hellenism, material and spiritual things are separated and bifurcated. So with that in mind, we have two fundamental worldviews on wisdom 
And we need to understand that where James is coming from is coming from the Hebraic way of looking at wisdom. And it's expressed in this verse from Psalm 90, which Moses wrote. Uh, and it, it says in verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To the Jewish mind, wisdom is a lifelong pursuit of this changed heart and a life that is increasingly well-lived. So, the first verse of what we read this morning in James chapter 3, verse 13, reinforces that and tells us about the life and the deeds of the wise person. And it is boiled down to a life well-lived, the deeds that James has talked about in chapter 2, And we find out that the key to that is humility. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on humility this morning because that's a big topic for next week's message uh, in chapter 4 of James. But it is this idea of the, the, the grace that we can be humble and walk like Jesus walked uh, that, that appeals to God. So in Proverbs chapter 4, classic Jewish wisdom book, it says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. Wisdom is tied to a long life. And in the New Testament of the Scriptures, uh, we have this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. When I read this verse, I think immediately of Jerry Kirk, uh, my mentor in the faith, who's 88 years old, uh, five kids, 28 grandchildren, and I think something like 30 great-grandchildren now. Uh, but he only keeps track of the, the kids and their spouses and that number's at 96 now, 96 people, you know, in his, in his family. And, uh, he communicates with them weekly with scripture memory, all of them. Scripture memory and whatever, prays for them every day. And this is, this is a heart that has, uh, been yielded to wisdom. And you can see it and you can actually feel it when you're with him and you, and you're speaking with him. Uh, in, in our congregation, we have a number of people like this, but I just want to mention two, uh, two elders who have stepped down from daily service, uh, into a, a role that we call it elders community or elders emeritus, uh, Burr Robinson. And I keep joking with Burr that I want to be like him when he grows up. Um, because he's 79, but he hasn't gone into retirement. He's not collecting seashells. He's not driving around, um, you know, uh, to the beach every day. He's actively engaged. And you can tell that Burr wants to live a better life every week. Uh, and the same goes for his bride, Terry. They together are a picture of wisdom, of a life well lived, right in our midst. And I also would like to mention Tom Dewey and uh, Jane Dewey. Ditto, same thing. Still actively engaged, a little bit younger than Burr, but charging full speed ahead. Um, a story uh, that uh, I want to share about Tom is that um, 
Last week, one of our elderly ladies, Thelma White, moved in uh, to a new uh, care facility, uh, assisted living facility, and uh, Tom had asked her several months ago uh, what she would most like for her room, and she said, I, I want a picture of Jesus over my bed. So Tom had gone to work on that. He noticed a few weeks later that his granddaughter has developed quite a skill at drawing portraits with pencils, colored pencils. And so he asked her to do a portrait of Jesus for her. And then last week, uh, he was able to present that to Thelma, uh, and there were tears all around. And let me tell you why there were tears all around, because that was a moment of wisdom. That was a moment, that was a moment that was really cool. Because what happened in that moment was Thelma realized she had somebody, she's, a, she's never married, never been married, she had somebody who cared for her and loved her. She had uh, someone who had listened and remembered and acted on that. She had uh, been engaged now with a granddaughter who's, who's soon going to visit Thelma and that connection is going to be made, which is going to have a significant effect on the granddaughter's faith. So Tom has been engaging in this pursuit of wisdom, and that, to me, uh, it, it shows that wisdom is grounded in love, but it's also grounded uh, in peace. And this is a person who's in her new living quarters living in peace. So that's a little bit about wisdom uh, and the person of wisdom as James is unpacking that for us. So let's move to the second part, the chaos of false wisdom. And in this uh, section, we, we read that uh, what goes on is uh, uh, bitter envy, selfish ambition. That, that word selfish ambition there, that's like political electioneering that was applied to the political realm uh, in the Greek language. Uh, and uh, it was usually lots of intrigue to get what you wanted, manipulation to get what you wanted. So you got envy and selfish ambition. Uh, you got uh, boasting um, and denying truth. This wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly. That is, it's born of the flesh. It's born of human manipulation. Uh, but it's also unspiritual. It's opposed to God. And then finally, it's demonic. It comes from the devil. And where you have this, you will find disorder in every evil practice. And that disorder is chaos. And so the the fruit of this type of wisdom is usually chaos. We see that very clearly in the early part of Jesus' life where Herod orders all the two-year-old boys in the area of Bethlehem and, and younger to be killed. That's that's chaos. That's that's absolute evil and chaos. We see it in churches where leaders are not held accountable, uh, and and they're perpetrating crimes either against women or children or money or whatever the issue is. And you have entire communities that are looking towards God, being completely torn upside down because of this this chaos. In Galatians, Paul says it this way, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
Selfish ambition, there's that selfish ambition again. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is directly opposed to all that God is and wants. And so James lays that down, and then he turns now in verse 17, and he defines true wisdom. He says that the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. That means it's clean and there's no hidden motives. There's no hidden motives being issued. Uh, then it's peace-loving. And this is, this is something that is ordered. It is, uh, brings peace because it trains people in righteousness. The same word, peace-loving, is in Hebrews 12.11 where it says... Uh, that there's a harvest of righteousness and peace to people who are trained by discipline. So this peace-loving is taking that word shalom and, and talking about things being in order, things being properly ordered. Uh, then it's considerate, which is gentle and caring. It's submissive. That means it's not boastful. It's full of mercy, which means it's not accusative. It's not accusing you uh, or, or the listener. It's full of good fruit, which, uh, which speaks to the fruit of the Spirit and the aroma of Christ. It's impartial. That means it's not prejudiced. It's not coming from a prejudiced point of view. Uh, and it's sincere, meaning there's no hypocrisy in that, in that word of wisdom. So these eight qualities, uh, eight is the symbol for eternal. So it's these eight qualities of wisdom that James says this is what it looks like when it comes from heaven. Jesus says the same thing. Uh, he says uh, in Matthew eleven nineteen, he says, Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And it's in the context of setting things right and ultimately resting in God. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus at Martha and Mary's house. Martha's in the kitchen running around, yelling and screaming at her sister, uh, hey, even says to Jesus, can't you do something about this? And Jesus is quietly speaking with Mary, and Mary is sitting at his feet. There's order amidst the whole chaos, and he simply tells Martha, hey, Martha, guess what? Mary has chosen the better thing, so this is where we're going to stay. And almost like, join us, will you? And it's the difference between that frenetic pace and that quiet orderly, peaceful moment. Uh, I believe that uh, we can see this in families. We can see this when the family is, uh, have the, the husband and wife are living a well-ordered life and then they are also training their kids. You can experience that home different, is different. It's peaceful, it's disciplined, it's ordered uh, to, to a home where these things are not happening it's totally chaotic, um, and I, we've had we've had four grandchildren last week, and two 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 of them are staying with us another week, and I'm I'm really blessed. It it does get chaotic; it's not perfect, but I'm really blessed by how um, these kids have been trained uh, by their parents, and how much easier it makes it for us to do uh, that job. So, James takes all of this. And he almost seems to switch subjects in verse 18 where he goes into peace and peacemaking. 
Um, but I believe that the ultimate in wisdom is peace. The ultimate, when, when you've heard from God and you know you've heard from God, you're essentially at peace in here. You, you know that whatever it is he's communicated to you to do, you're going to do. You feel confident that that's what he wants and you're moving in that direction. That is a quality of wisdom from heaven. And so, uh, in this moment where James switches into this peace, uh, we can think about the cross because we can think about Jesus coming in to the middle of chaos. The chaos of the first century, the Roman Empire, the brutal dictatorship, uh, the slavery, the things that were going on in the midst of all that. And Jesus comes and plants the kingdom flag. And in the ultimate act of peacemaking, he lays his life down on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, for the restoration of our relationship with the Father, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and for the joy set before him as he ascends to heaven and as he's waiting in heaven now, praying for us and waiting to come back. We have still in this earth chaos, but in the midst of that chaos is the kingdom of God. It's been planted. Uh, It is absolutely sure. It is peaceful. It is set right. It is a place where we can discover Christ. We can discover the Spirit. We can discover the life in the Spirit. We can discover relationship with our Father in heaven. It's a place where out of that we can we can move and we can easily set aside a Saturday morning as Sean Jackson has for I don't know how many Saturdays and go to a single mom's house recovering from a fire and paint all morning and put that as a priority because uh, God wants us to minister to pure religion, right? James says is to take care of widows and orphans, right? Uh, to do that, I'm just really, I told him yesterday, I'm really encouraged by Sean's commitment to this house and getting this house right for that mom and those two teenage boys. So that is reaping peace and moving peace. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And I want to just speak to peacemaking and I want to contrast that with peacekeeping because these are two words that apparently in the dictionary have quite similar meanings, but one is in the Bible and the other is not. One is very different from the other. But a peacemaker is very different than a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper, you think of the United Nations peacekeeping forces. Uh, they're, they're over there, they're wandering around, but they're not actually changing anything. They're just trying to keep things peaceful. There are many marriages that uh, have, have come into a peacekeeping mode. Peacekeeping likes to preserve a steady environment, likes to control sort of what's going on on the outside and keep it, keep it peaceful at the cost of not really talking about what's important, at the cost of not 
dealing with the deeper issues that are inside. And so this marriage, uh, there's an effort to keep the peace, but it actually is a fake peace. It's a peace that doesn't last. And the only way to break through is to uh, go from the outer condition to the inner condition and to deal with what's going on at the heart level in that marriage, to, to really make lasting peace. Jesus didn't deal uh, only with what was apparent. He dealt with the inner human being. The Sermon on the Mount is devoted to that. And so a good example of a peacekeeper versus a peacemaker is what happened at the beginning of World War II, where uh, Neville Chamberlain on the left, his strategy was to appease Hitler and hope that he behaves. Uh, let's not upset the apple cart. But deep down, there's still inner turmoil left because the problem hasn't been solved. And how many countries does Hitler have to move in before we realize in appeasing him, we've created a monster? And so Churchill comes along and says, I gotta, we gotta confront Hitler. And he had to confront his own fears. He had to confront uh, what was going on in his own understanding. He had to set things right. And he had to decide that everything we have is worth spending to defend ourselves from tyranny. Everything that we have is worth spending to defend ourselves from tyranny, to defend ourselves from this, uh, from this, uh, condition that will not will not remain peaceful. So I hope I've illustrated that. In, in the book of Romans, Paul says it this way, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he goes on to say, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, he says, confront things that are not true. Confront things that are not wise. Confront things that are not of God and bring, bring true lasting peace into the relationships, into the situation we have. So, that's the treatise on wisdom, according to James. And I want to spend the last time now, the last part of our time together now in applying this. And this is a time to ask God about an issue that's important to you, that's near to you, that's uh, causing you, causing you challenge right now. And the worship team's going to come up as I uh, get us ready to do this. But wisdom comes from revelation. It comes from above. It comes from God. In Jeremiah chapter 33, the prophet says, Call to me, and I will tell you the great and unsearchable things you do not know. In other words, sit, call, and listen to me, and I'll tell you the things that you need to know. It's an incredible promise. It's the verse I use when anybody is seeking God. But Jesus also spoke very clearly. He said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus will speak to anyone, anyone truly intent on obeying. And don't ignore what God says. Because we've already heard in James chapter 1, if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. But you must not be double-minded. You must not be one foot in, one foot out. 
He's going to give it to you with the intention that you'll obey him, that you will follow what he says. So it's really like this. It's We're going to uh, be still. Next slide. I'm going to lead you to a time of being still. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. We're going to envision Jesus. The, the, the scriptures tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So we're going to envision Jesus. Uh, we're going to listen and get in the flow of the thoughts that God gives us. And then we're going to journal. We're just going to write down what we hear. In the Habakkuk, the prophet says, Hey, if you get revelation, write it down. If God's going to say something to you, write it down so you don't forget. So we're going to do that. So close your eyes, and we're just going to do the next five minutes on listening to God. Now, you're going to bring that problem to him that you've had, and you're going to lay it before him. Close your eyes, and I'll just walk you through this, Then we're going to be quiet. So, Father, we come to you to seek wisdom. And, Lord, we know the, the fallacy of earthly, demonic wisdom, Lord. We know the fallacy of false wisdom. So we want to be still before you, Lord, and seek wisdom from above, wisdom that is pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And we want to listen to you, Lord. We're listening for your word, for pictures, for things that you will bring to our mind. We want to get into the flow of your thought for our lives. And then, Lord, we're going to write down what you give us. So, Lord, this is the time where we say, Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Grant us wisdom.
Father, for hearing our for hearing our request. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We ask now, Lord, that you would help us obediently put that which you have given us into practice. We pray for godly wisdom, Lord, and wise lives before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay seated. You can stand with us. We're going to sing as an invitation for God to just continue to bring clarity and wisdom to us as we lay down our hearts and our minds, submitting to his wisdom.